of the extras. My name is Candy. I'm one of the pastoral staff here at St. Paul's and today I'm joined by Caleb. Hello and welcome. Uh, Caleb, you preached in North Rocks on the mm. Sunday just then on Ecclesiastes, last one in our series. Caleb, but before we kind of dive into the questions, can you tell us a bit about yourself? So you are one of the apprentices at our church. Um, what is an apprenticeship? Why are you doing one? And what do you do? Mm. Um so an apprenticeship is when you work at the church full-time to kind of get some training and learn the ropes on what full-time vocational ministry might look like. Um, I did it to work out whether full-time vocational ministry was something for me. So um, I want to learn how best to serve Jesus, whether that was in the workplace, whether that was uh, working full-time as a minister, I wasn't sure. And mm. so MTS was a way for me to figure that out. And what does your week look like at the moment? It's lots of different things. Um, I lead a team of people who run fireworks. I teach scripture. I write and run Bible studies for the youth group. Uh, I'm working at night church. I do ministry training on how to lead teams. It's kind of just all the different things that you can possibly do. Um, try it all, see what sticks kind of thing. Great. And you've also recently gotten married. I did. To the wonderful Haley from Night Church. That's right. 2nd of July. So, you know, two months in. All sorted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, got time to do the extras. That's right. (laughs) Um, So you preached in North Rocks on Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 9 to the end of chapter 12. Mm. Uh, This is really wrapping up our series in Ecclesiastes and looking at the last bit. Can you refresh us a little bit on the main idea in your sermon? Yeah, so... um, We kind of kicked off by seeing the goodness of life, that life is to be enjoyed, it's a gift from God, uh, but it doesn't last. um, That uh, at the end of the day, all of us are going to die, that life is fleeting. And so whilst we live, we need to remember our Creator. We need to remember our God and we need to live in fear and obedience to Him. Mm. Uh, If you're listening... um great to have a bible in front of you i mean if you're driving that's okay but if you can get ecclesiastes chapter um, 11 verse 9 to sort of chapter 12 in front of you that'll just help you to keep track with us as we address the questions that came in on the sunday Mm. first question is in reference to verse 9 verse 9 says beside being wise the teacher also taught people knowledge this question saying hey how was solomon wise didn't he have 700 wives and concubines bit bizarre to call him wise. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a helpful question because we're kind of seeing his life doesn't necessarily marry up with the wisdom that he's described with here. Um, I think helpful for us to kick off by just saying that the teacher could be Solomon, but it might not be. Um, Yeah, he's called Koheleth. He's described in certain ways that make you think it might be Solomon, but he's not named as Solomon. And so it's just worth keeping that little distinction in mind. Um, We still need to wrestle with Solomon's own wisdom in life, though, potentially. Um, Solomon, he's given wisdom, but his life doesn't always reflect it. Um, If you look at 1 Kings chapter 3, then uh, when Solomon asks for wisdom, he, he asks to be given a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. And God gives that to him. And at the end of um, 1 Kings chapter 3, all the people see that he has wisdom from God to administer justice. So Solomon is given wisdom, 
Uh, he's given wisdom that he needs to lead God's people, but he's not perfect. Uh, he, he doesn't fully follow wisdom and live it out. And I think one of the ways that he fails in his own living out of the wisdom is in how many wives he has from mm-hmm. other nations and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, that leads his heart astray. Yeah. I think it's easy for us to sort of think that when the Bible categorizes someone, someone as wise, that, that could mean to us that they don't do anything foolish. Mm. But apart from Jesus, anyone else in the Bible who can be called wise, including Solomon, will always be sinful. Mm. So there will always be things that they do that are foolish. And... And so I think we can sort of use a label like wise or, you know, I even think of someone like Lot, you know, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, we're told that Lot is a righteous person who is tormented in his soul. But at the same time, when we actually read the story of Lot, we see that when the angels come, he and, and the men kind of knocks at his door, he also offers his daughters um, and so, you know, he may be righteous. I mean, there's, there's contention around whether or not his daughters were there with him at the same time. Was he lying to them? Uh, but if you sort of read the story, it could be that they were with him and he offered them. Or when we look at Abraham as someone who had faith and was righteous, even though he trusted in God's promise, he still kind of gave Sarah away um, when Sarah was quite attractive and said that she's his sister in order not to incur wrath, even though that meant it could jeopardize her bearing another person's child and jeopardizing the promise that God had given him. Mm -hmm. So even though the Bible says he is faithful, he is righteous. um, We see that it's not a flat reading as though that applies to every single second of that person's life. Mm. So yeah, I think um, Solomon is wise, even though he had done something foolish. Mm. Our second question um, comes from talking about the last bit in uh, verses 13. It says, fear God and keep his commandments. So this person's asking, are the commandments referring to the Ten Commandments or the more detailed Jewish laws? And also, given that we now live in the age of the New Testament, are we to return to this or should we be looking to keep more of the commands informed by the New Testament? Yeah, um... This is, this is a great question. I think it's helpful for us to remember who Ecclesiastes was written to. Um, so, this book was written to the Jewish people, to the people of God. And so, um, when he says, keep God's commandments, that comes, with a, that comes in a very specific context. The context of the Ten Commandments and the law of God. Um, so, I think 100% we want to say that obeying the commandments of God to the people this was written to is talking about the Jewish law. Um, But if we have a look, we see that it's not limited to just the Jewish law because when we look at uh, Ecclesiastes at the end, he says, uh, Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Um, And not all mankind was given the law that the Jews were given. Um, but all mankind have the law of God written on their hearts. That's what Romans chapter 2 says. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times defending them. All of humanity has the law of God written on their hearts. All of humanity was made by God and is supposed to fear and obey Him. Um, For the particular people this book was written to, that means following the Old Testament law, um, but it's not limited just to that. Mm. What about for us now, as we read this 
as people who believe in Jesus, what does that mean for us? Yeah, um, that's a great question because we've got all this law in the Old Testament and we're trying to work out, well, do I need to follow every dot and cross every T? Um, I think something that's helpful for us to see here is that um, the Old Testament and the New Testament come from the same God. Um, that there is a, a continuity across them. Um, and part of this we see is in uh, the way that we're supposed to live. Um, I want to take us just quickly to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 13. And we're going to see some difference and some similarity here. So, in verse 13 he says that we're to set our hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. The way that people are saved is by the grace of God and not by obeying the law. Uh, it's by what Jesus has achieved, uh, His obeying, His righteousness and our faith in Him. Mm. Um, but then, in this, continuing on in the next verse, it, it's, He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Um, here we see Peter is quoting Leviticus, where God commands his people, Be holy, as I am holy. Um, and that's still the call for Christians, to, to live holy and righteous lives. Uh, but it's a wonderful news that we see the fullness of God's revelation, that we're not saved by working and being holy. Mm. We're saved by the grace of God yeah. and the Lord Jesus. And in the latter part of that, it talks about the sacrifice that we've actually been saved by is not by animals, but actually by the precious blood of Jesus. Mm. And so we see here both the fulfillment of certain Old Testament laws, like the sacrificial law that no longer applies to us because Christ has fulfilled them in the sense that he is our sacrifice. But there are still, we see the application of what it means for us is to be holy because God is holy. Mm. Like that still applies and it's the same God. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's always always a lot of fun reading the Old and the New Testament together and thinking through how does the Old come into the New mm. and how does that now apply to us? Yeah. yeah. Um, in the Westminster Confession, I know that they do divide the law into three different things in terms of what they call the ceremonial laws, the sacrificial kind of laws, the civil law, which is the law about governance of Israel, and also they call it the moral law. Um, and they talk about how Christ fulfills um, um, all of the law, but in particular the application of the moral law uh, to the New Testament believer. Anyway, so if you're into the Westminster Confession and you're kind of keen on that, some helpful categories they've come up with here. Mm. Okay, our third question is on um, the last bit about judgment again, because it says in verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment. This question is, will we be judged? I'm taking the we as believers. Will believers be judged together with unbelievers? What do you think, Caleb? Will believers be judged together with unbelievers? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we see in the Bible that both believers and non-believers will be judged when the Lord Jesus comes back. Um, so, um, you know, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, he tells us in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Um, every single human being is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, mm. whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Um, 
there is a difference in the outcome. Uh, there is a difference in what the judgment is, uh, but there is not a difference in that, you know. We'll those, be judged together. Yeah, you're judged together. So, yeah. um, Could you talk through us, with us what the difference is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Revelation uh, 20, verse 12, um, is talking about this moment of judgment, and he says um, in verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Um, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. We kind of see here that, um, you know, people's lives are judged by the Lord Jesus, um, whether they did good or wrong. But there's an extra book here, and this is the book of life. Mm. Um, for people who put their faith in the Lord Jesus, who have put their faith in what he has achieved in his death and resurrection, um, their names get written in the book of life. And so God's judgment on the unbeliever is punishment and wrath, but God's judgment on the believer is new life. Um, yeah, it's a huge difference in what the judgment is, but both believers and non-believers are judged. Mm. Yeah, in, in new life, in terms of the resurrection. And we see in verse 15 as well, in that Revelation chapter 20, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So um, that's what we get there. Okay, on to the next question. Will the action of Jesus in particular on earth be judged by God? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is an interesting question. Will the actions of Jesus uh, on earth be judged? So we're, we're kind of talking future tense here. Um, I think it's helpful to see that um, the Lord Jesus already has been judged. So, uh, the Lord Jesus is deemed to be righteous, and then he takes on our unrighteousness and he dies in our place. Um, so, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 18, um, it says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, that is, Jesus is, is deemed righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Um, so, when God looks at Jesus, he deems him and judges him to be righteous but at the end of time the the Lord God is not going to judge Jesus uh, uh, Jesus is the one that um, has been appointed to be the judge uh, God has appointed Jesus to judge all of humanity um, so John chapter 5 verse 22 says um, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son so uh, yeah, when Jesus returns, he isn't going to be judged by the Father, but he is going to judge all of humanity. Um, and the reason why is because he has already been deemed to be righteous, and he died and rose to be to, to save us and to be declared the Lord of all. Mm. And we get in Acts um, chapter seventeen thirty one as well that Jesus is going to be the judge. Mm. So, and the final day, he is the judge who will judge us. Um, so yeah. yeah, I guess he will not be judged by God. He will be the one he, on the throne judging. Yeah. Because he's deemed by God to be worthy um, mm. of that. Now, this is uh, another question, but it's not so much a question about the passage per se, but this is a question about the Apostles' Creed, which we've read out in church. The Apostles' Creed talked about Pilate and sort of 
him that Jesus has suffered under him. Mm. But this question is talking about in Matthew 27, 24, Pilate washes his hands in front of the crowd and tells them that the blood of Jesus is on the crowd. Mm. So doesn't this mean that Jesus didn't suffer under Pilate, but he actually suffered under the crowd? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's definitely what Pilate wants to say. He, <laughs> yeah, but he, yeah. he wants to... He's washing his hands. He wants to give that perception. Yeah, yeah Pilate wants to say he, he's on you. Um, mm. His death is on you and not on me. Um, I don't think Pilate can shirk his own responsibility that easily. Uh, he is the one who is in the position of authority. Yeah. Um, he decided that Jesus should die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he is the one who releases Barabbas. Um, he is the one who has Jesus flogged and who hands him over to be crucified. Um, so I think we want to say Pilate is still um, responsible for his own decisions and his own actions. And it's right to say that Christ suffered under Pilate. I think you're also right, though, to point out that it's the crowd that calls for the blood of Jesus. And so um, they are also responsible for his blood. Mm. Um, They're not innocent either. There are two guilty parties here, um, Pilate and the crowd. Um, Neither of them get off scot-free, even though Pilate does his best to wash his hands in the basin and say, I've got nothing to do with it. Yeah, I think... um... It's one of those interesting things in reading the Bible. Um, when we read the Bible and you sort of read it and you say, yeah, like, that's right. You know, Pilate, Pilate kind of washes his hands and ceremonially trying to have this symbol of his innocence saying, and he actually says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See mm-hmm. to it yourself. But it's sort of like if you have, um, you know, you actually have the authority. He did have the authority. It's like someone, if you burn a house down and you're holding a kerosene lamp, then you like throw it into the bushes and said, well, I didn't do it because it's not with me anymore. It doesn't mean you didn't do it. It's, I think it's meant to kind of, the whole narrative here is meant to drip with irony. Mm. It's meant to make you go, well, it's, um, it's, it's actually really, um, how do you put it? It's kind of really silly. It's like someone um, pretending. It's like, you know, when kids kind of like in hide and seek, they hide them at their own eyes, even though their whole body is mm. exposed. And then they think that you can't see them yeah. because they're like, well, I can't see you. Therefore, you must not be able to see me. Yeah. I think the narrative is saying Pilate is trying to do a very similar thing. He's saying, I'm innocent just by washing his hands when his hands are completely blood filled because as a person of authority, he's acted unjustly and mm. he hasn't taken up that responsibility, but instead have just been a crowd pleaser, like literally pleasing the crowds. So I think we're meant to see that in, in the passage. Yeah, that's what the narrator Matthew helps us see. In After he washes his hand, the crowd says, yeah, his blood is on us and on our children. And then the narrator writes and says, he, that's Pilate, released Barabbas. And he, Pilate, had Jesus flogged and handed over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's very ironic. Um, yeah. yeah. It's meant to contrast what he says with what he does. Mm-hmm. All right. That concludes our questions uh, for this week's extras. Oof. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank- so, Caleb, you're not here for the 40-minute episodes. Yeah, this is only nice. about 20 minutes. Uh <laughs> Uh, this ends sort of also our series in Ecclesiastes. It's been a really fantastic time. Mm. I think um, the overall reflection by a lot of people at church has been how much they've loved this series. Caleb, what has been some of the highlights for you in this series in Ecclesiastes? Mm. I think just seeing all the places that I pour effort into that don't last and being mm. rebuked on that, um, needing to come to God and repent because I live for all sorts of things other than the Lord Jesus. Uh, one of them is just my own reputation, Mm. um, my own name. And 
just to be rebuked that my name will not last. No one will remember it. Yeah, it's that not was something great. worth living for. Yeah, great. Wasn't it great in chapter one? You know, mm. you know, one generation come, one generation go. You don't know what came before. No one's going to remember you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I think for me, I've loved Ecclesiastes. Um, at first, I have to admit, I've been sort of writing the devotion notes as well for the daily Bible reading notes, and I did get really depressed writing them. Mm. I was like ripping my hair out, finding it really hard. Um, but then. Now, as I hear the sermons and reflect more on it, kind of after having written stuff on it as well, I've actually found it really freeing as a book because often I find I can put a lot of pressure on myself and, you know, kind of have a do or die type of attitude. But Ecclesiastes just goes, you know what, like time and chance happens to us all. Things can happen in life that you can't control. And when we sort of act as if we are in complete control, that's just really silly and that's just not in line with reality. And also... There is fertility. There is ways in which our work is frustrated and we can't understand quite why God does what he does. And for me, that's actually been really freeing just to be reminded again of how big God is and how small I am and how much we need to trust him and fear him. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really good um, reminder. This coming Sunday, we're moving on to our Matthew series. Uh, we're going to kick back off again in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And Raj and Peter will be taking us uh, through that passage. So if you have a chance, read up on Matthew. We're going to be talking a little bit about God's church and the rock that God um, builds his church on. So, you know, stay tuned. It's going to be a really great time of thinking through, you know, what does it mean that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church? It's going to be a good time. So looking forward also to your questions then and tackling those in next week's extras. Goodbye. See ya.